everybody. Welcome to another episode of Studio Wesley Annex, our weekly discussion of the lectionary text. I am your host, Derek Scott III, and I've got an incredible group of Studio Wesley friends here with me this week. We're going to have an incredible uh, conversation. Um, my incredible co-host, I've said incredible four times now, and I'm very okay with that. Uh, my fifth time incredible co-host, Brooke, is with us. So, Brooke, how are you doing today? Good. I, Other than the beans, I'm good. Yeah, that that's another conversation that we yeah we might talk about it later. Don't know if it's gonna actually lead It'll into tie it. In. It might tie in. We'll It'll see. Tie in. Um, and also, who is here is Cameron Garrett. Cameron, how you doing, my friend? Oh, I'm doing great, Derek. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me. So good. And then Neil McMichael, who is usually in the background engineering podcast, but today he is a face on the podcast. Neil, how you doing today, my friend? I'm I'm doing all right. I'm here. Awesome. Awesome. Well, y'all, we did take last week off. Some of that was because I was out of the country and some of it was because um, it was Transfiguration Week. And you know what happens during Transfiguration Week. We we go up on the mountain and then things happen. And um, yeah, Mike is OK. That was a conversation in the chat. Sorry, friends. <laughs> Mike is okay, and Allison's okay, and Sydney's okay. They're probably still on the mountain of transfiguration, waiting for Jesus to say, come down the mountain. Uh, so that's why they're not with us in the valley in this episode of Annex. But last week was transfiguration. Um, this week is the first week in Lent. This is the first week in Lent. We are in a new season, a solemn season, a season where we ask deep, deep questions of ourselves. And so I'm excited to get into it. And so with that, I am going to ask my friend Brooke if she would pray us in and then we'll get started with our discussion. Yes. Um, if y'all want to pray with me, um, dear God, thank you so much for bringing us together. Thank you for the ways that technology connects us. And I ask you, God, that you will be with us in this conversation, that you will shine through in our words, and that you will go with us and fill us, um, those here with love and those listening with love, and that we may take the journey that we need to take with you into this Lenten season. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Awesome. All right. Well, this week, again, first week in Lent, we're going to be looking at Romans 5, Genesis 2, Psalm 32, and Matthew chapter 4. So I'm going to invite my friend Brooke to take us right into the Romans 5 text. So go ahead, Brooke, take it away. Hi. Um, yeah, I'm trying to figure out how to manage my Bible with the microphone. Um, but I, um, as I've mentioned before, I've been going through Romans with Campus to Study Wesley, and I actually gave a message on Romans 5. So I'm way more familiar with this passage than I usually am. Um, and there's so much, so much to say about Romans 5, right? So much to say, but I'm going to talk about um, two parts. I'm going to talk about the first verse in our passage and the closing verse in the passage. So the first verse in the passage, um, in my Bible and then in RSV, it's titled Adam and Christ. And Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death came through sin, and so death spread to all because all have sinned. Um, and then it kind of like does like an M dash, right? Um, and it, go it goes on to say more, um, as I understand it, Paul wrote 
these letters, like, <laughs> like he like spoke them out loud and someone wrote them down. And that really helps me read it because I'm like, I can totally see someone like being on a roll and like making this long sentence and the person's just like trying to keep up. Um, what I really appreciate about this section, Adam and Christ, um, is the way it talks about how sin is in the world and how sin came into the world with Adam. And I had a conversation um, on another podcast with my pastor, um, Emily Knight, and she was saying how it's kind of like a feminist thing to her that we like credit the sin coming from Adam in this case, when it's usually like used <laughs> to put on Eve um, and <laughs> all sorts of ways that cause problems. Um, but to me, I really appreciate this emphasis on sin coming in the world and the acknowledgement of sin's action in humanity. Um, because I, um, as I mentioned, <laughs> I'm like binging the Bible on podcasts, right? So I'm on, uh, I went through all the New Testament, um, went through all the five books, the first five books. Now I'm on Joshua, which like, I don't recommend, like, I, I, I don't really see anything in it that I would recommend reading currently, but, um, one of my favorite books is Genesis. And, um, and the thing is, like, you you see it in the story. Like, the stories are so relatable, even as, like, they're so specific to their time period. They're so relatable because the mistakes that um, that the people who God, who God chooses make, um, they're so relatable, right? Like, it's like, um, or, you know, sometimes I say, like, I... Um, you know, I've made this many mistakes, but at least I didn't do that thing that Abraham did, <laughs> right? Um, but you see again and again how um, generation after generation, um, these people who God chooses and who God's with, they choose death over life, I would say. They choose um, to use power over people to grab more power rather than using their power to serve Um which leads me to the last part of this um, that really, really stands out to me. Um, gosh, I, I actually pulled from the very, very end of this, but I'll, I'll touch on the last one that we have. Um, 519, for just as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. And later on, it talks about grace and talks about how like grace multiplies. Um, and I, I find this so beautiful, um, this idea that um, like Jesus undoes that, undoes that, <laughs> Jesus undoes that. Jesus teaches us how, um, how to live in love rather than to live by taking power. Jesus teaches us how to um, yeah, how to how to serve our neighbor rather than um, choosing destruction and selfishness. And for me, it's like the imagery I get of all of the death and destruction and sin and heartache that um, I think humans we do right. <laughs> like that's just our pattern. Um, you can see that on CNN as much as you can see that in <laughs> um, Genesis. Um, and then the idea of like the light and the color and the beauty that Jesus does and showing us a way out of that. Um, and yeah. 
Wow. Brooke, I appreciate that. Um, just thinking about Romans 5 and, <clears throat> excuse me, it, Romans 5 has a ton of theological significance, I think, for a lot of people um, and the ways that it it's trying to bring these different stories together. Um, this uh, ancient Jewish story about Adam with, for Paul, this very um, in the moment kind of story, a very just recent historical point about Jesus trying to bring all these stories together. Um, I think there's a lot of richness there. And I, I think it's really important to not miss that um, there is power in what one person can do. Now, obviously the one person that Paul is talking about is a pretty incredible, that'll be the sixth time I've said incredible in this episode, a, a pretty awesome human that is also God. That's who Paul is talking about. But I think in that is an encouragement to not be afraid to be the one. And I, and I love what Paul says, um, even around um, uh, verse 18, uh, yeah, so now the righteousness requirements necessary for life are met for everyone through the righteous act of one person, um, just as judgment fell on everyone through the failure of one person. And again, he's making a theological claim, but I think there's also a very practical, encouraging claim here, too, that there is power in what one person does for good and for not good, that one person can do something and it completely shatters a generation. And I think we have lots of historical evidence of one person doing a thing because they had power or they had influence and it really being terrible for a lot of people. And then we also have the courageous one. We have the, the brave one. We have the one who is willing to, um, we're still in Black History Month, so I start thinking about these ones, like this one person who decided to sit at a counter, this one person who decided to sit in the front of a bus, this one person who decided to get in front of a mic and make a speech. Like the, 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 the bravery of the one has the ability to impact many. And I think that that is something in this text as well, in the midst of its theological um claims that that Paul is making. And I was just, as you were talking, that's what came to mind, this power of that one. So I, I appreciate your thoughts um, on all of that, Brooke. Neil, Cameron, y'all got any thoughts on what Brooke gave us? Yeah, one of the, um, I also tend to like very much appreciate like the recognition that it's also Adam's fault. In a way, because like a lot, a lot of people, you know, people be like, "Oh, it's women's fault." Blah blah blah. Eve messed it up. But one of my teachers put it beautifully. He said, "Well, yeah, Eve ate the fruit and then told you know Adam to eat it." But it's like, but God then, or Adam then proceeded to blame God and his wife in like the same sentence, pretty much afterwards, pretty much saying it was this woman that you gave me. And it's like, you know, I think, I think that's just also just an interesting message and like a fact of life that. It, things are never just clear cut black and white. It's never just one person's fault for anything. There's always like blame to be spread around and that no one person should get the blame in any like circumstance pretty much. So, uh, but yeah, no, really appreciate that bit. And to um, riff off of the, the one, there's the one that introduces sin in Adam and then the one who's, um, death uh 
sort of vanquished the power of sin in Christ. I think it's interesting to think about how in our bodies and in ourselves, um, both of those are, are sort of sewn into our bones and our flesh. We are both Adam and um, the image of God's likeness revealed in creation. And so I, you know, the, the one heroic person who chooses to put one foot in front of the other in such a way that um, it results in racial justice, for example, like the one who chooses to sit at the counter also simultaneously struggles about stuff with stuff and uh, stuff that involves harming themselves and others that isn't a part of our narrative of these heroes. So I think it's important to remember that um, in our spiritual lives, holding in tension the two, that we are both Christ and Adam, that we um, are full of grace and courage and blessing and gift, and we're also limited and fallible and prone to mistake. Well, Brooke, you got this conversation started. We are in Lent. <laughs> we are here for the first week of Lent, and um, thank you so much for opening the conversation for us in the New Testament text. And so Cameron, I'm just gonna go ahead and let you take it away, my friend. Yeah, so uh, I have the Genesis text that this Romans text is riffing off of. Um, it is where uh, we are in the garden with Adam and Eve and the serpent, um, the crafty serpent uh, whispers to Eve to eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge. Um, and then they do. Adam and Eve both eat the fruit, and uh, the result is in Genesis 3, uh, verse 7, the result of eating of the apple is, or the fruit, is that their eyes were both opened, and the first thing that they notice is that they're naked. And so their immediate response to their eyes opening is to sew fig leaves together and make loincloths for themselves. I think it's sort of a shame. I think it's sort of a shame that the lectionary text, Genesis 3, 1 through 7, doesn't include verse 8, um, which says point blank that Adam and Eve experience shame. That's why they sew their um, one cloth. That's why they hide from God. Uh, what they're experiencing is shame of their vulnerability and their creatureliness. Um, I uh, am particularly fond of this creation story in Genesis. Um, I have a tattoo on my arm of a snake with flowers in it, and it is not because I am a member of the Church of Satan. That's actually one misinterpretation of this text to look at the serpent and say that that's the devil. That's reading into scripture from later tradition and particularly Persian influences upon the text. Um, Actually, in the ancient Near East, serpent figures like the one that appears in Genesis are uh, sort of aligned with wisdom and discernment and also uh, trickster qualities. And the trickster in literature is the figure who can create worlds from cunningness, from their playfulness, their trickiness. And it says in scripture, I'm looking at the NRSV, that the serpent was crafty. And we can imagine that the world that the serpent creates from uh their craftiness is the creation of human mortality. It's after 
Adam and Eve eat from the apple, that they discover that they are creatures, that they have life, and perhaps that their lives will end. So this is where we not only uh, see the failure to live into their full humanity as images of God, but also their discovery of what it means to be human now, which means limitation, which means fallibility, which means messing up, which means the necessity of relying upon God's grace. God's grace. So the reason I got my tattoo is because I thought it looked cool, A, and also because I love the idea of what follows from the knowledge of our creatureliness, of the reality that our lives are lives that are embodied, that we live and that our life necessarily means that it will end. And so I, I'm reminded whenever I read the story of Mary Oliver's famous poem, Wild Geese, where she poses the challenge to her audience to humanity generally, what will you do with your one wild and precious life? And um, the reality is, is that this one wild and precious life is one that is full of, yes, both grace and blessing, and also um, the mess that we tend to get ourselves in. That's all. That's all I got. You could have kept going, bro. Like, you, whoa. <laughs> Treat that tax, Cameron. Treat that text. So good. Brooke, Neil, y'all got any thoughts? Yeah, that's a lot to think about. Um, yeah, I think I'm, um, I really, I really get a lot through imagery. So I think I'm just like contemplating that image of the, the snake and the flowers. Um, and that's like the question that always stays with me is that Mary Oliver question. Um, that's like the question that always haunts me. Um, and I, um, I don't know. I, I really like to live into the liturgical calendar as we're recording tomorrow's Ash Wednesday. So I, um, I feel invited to bring that question with me into the Lenten season. Um, yeah. So thank you for, thank you for that, Kim. Yeah. Um, Man, you said so much, and I don't even know where to start about it. There's just so much. I'm being, I'm. Be I just want to let y'all know I'm being attacked this this particular annex, right? You know, because like I feel like the verses I had like beforehand were like different than the ones now, and then these are all of a sudden a lot more relevant for me, and I'm like, ah, for God's sake, not again. So anyway, this is just season I'm in. Uh, I. I really appreciate you mentioning that like snakes and other like traditions are actually more not associated with like the devil and they're actually more associated with wisdom because of whatever, for whatever reason, over the last few months, uh, I've grown to really love and like appreciate snakes. And one of my favorite, uh, iconographies is actually the one of the snake eating its own tail in the Greeks. They call that Herberos and the Norse, they call that Jormungandr. And it's, it's not an evil thing at all like some people think oh it represents chaos but i'm like no it just represents like the endless cycle of death and rebirth and how within every ending of a thing there is the beginning of a new thing after it so yeah i like snakes <laughs> um i i can't say that i'm with you on the liking snakes part um but i i will say so thank you neil um but I will say, I think it's interesting. You know, we have 
we have been able to live in a world that has a clean distance between what is understood to be good and what is understood to be bad, um, good versus evil. Um, and I think we have now entered into a period of time and it may, I mean, I think it's always been this way, but I think that because of things like social media um, and just the complicated nature of what it means to live in the 21st century, um, you know, there is, you know, historically no um, great country. I mean, like there, there are, there, there, with all of the greatness of one country, there is this just continued um, understanding of the not great things that country might have done and, and even great people, right? Like you said that earlier, uh, Cam, that um, we are both holding within us the legacy of Adam and the legacy of Christ within each one of us. And I, I wonder how we now look at stories like Genesis 2 and 3, the fall, and the ways that we're going to have to really wrestle with things like the outcome of the fall. And I'm going to get in trouble with this, and so I'm just going to say it out loud, and then we're going to go to a break. Was it all bad? Right? Like, was, was the outcome? And, and then, I know, like, there's some people like, but Derek, sin. It's like, I hear you. I hear you. But that's where we can make these clean breaks between this is sin and this is not. But the world I live in is a world that it actually is a little, it's become quite difficult for me to sort of get the distance between this is like really in the way of Jesus and this is so not in the way of Jesus. I'm watching Christians that I love deeply and trust deeply and 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 believe that they're following Jesus as best as they can do things in the name of Christ that I'm like what in the world are you thinking? And yet I'm watching people who would not even claim Christ live their lives in such a way that I'm like that's that's holy. And so about the thing I appreciated, Cameron, with your treatment of the text of many things is that you really are, you helped us step into the Genesis 2, 3 context and not just do the binary of, excuse me, good versus evil. But it, it, there's a lot of lived experience that that kind of binary is just not satisfactory. It's not sufficient. And I think we're going to have to go back to legacy texts like Genesis 2 and 3 and renegotiate how we read them, renegotiate who is the, who's the bad character, who's the, who's the not. And, 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 I, and I think even Paul's doing some of that by saying, I, I know what the text says about Eve, but let me talk about that. So, so I just, I, I was thinking about that even as you were talking, Cameron, and I appreciate it. Derek, can I just quickly say yeah. the other uh, image that I love is this image of the dragonfly, and it comes from a poem that I love by Gerard Manley Hopkins called As Kingfishers Catch Fire, and it ends with this really famous line, Christ plays in 10,000 places. Mm. And do we have the faith to acknowledge that God and Christ might be playing with the context of what we would previously say is evil or bad or just like across the board, not good. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, I love that. 
gosh. I mean, uh, we could, I literally am getting like four different scriptures in my brain right now in relation to this conversation, but we're not going to go there. We're going to actually take a break. So friends, we will be right back. Hi friends! If we haven't met, my name is Allison and I'm here to talk to you about one of the resources that we have to offer at The Wellness Project. The Wellness Project has two new cohorts starting this spring and you should definitely join us. A cohort is a mental health module that has been designed by campus ministers and students on our design team. The first cohort is titled Mental Health Overview and is exactly what it sounds like. There are eight sessions total and each session covers a different topic on mental health and wellness to give you a general overview of what those topics are. The second cohort is called Peer Support and that's four sessions all to do with peer support. We would love to have you join us and if you'd like to sign up, go to studiowesley.org slash wellnessproject. We had a really great discussion on the break. You know, maybe one of these days, these breaks are going to get like put into its own episode of the things we talked about. I wish you were here because it was a really good conversation that we had. Um, and I might have even teared up a little bit. Can you believe that? Actually, I didn't tear up at all. Um, but it was a really good conversation. But now we're going straight to the song text for this week. And my friend Neil is going to uh, unpack it for us. So take it away, my friend. Yeah, uh, let me, so first of all, I'm looking at the NRSV, uh, and let me just first say that I absolutely love this psalm. Um, it's very beautiful, and in some ways, like, I don't know, the first little bits of it, like, sort of mirror, like, the idea of, like, you know, forgiveness and whatnot that we find, like, in the Gospels and whatnot, you know, where it says, happier those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sin is covered, like, so I feel like that's a little bit of good old-fashioned biblical foreshadowing. Um, but the bit of this text that like particularly gets me, uh, is, you know, part of the reason I'm also being attacked. So it says, while I kept silence, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long, blah, blah, blah. And I acknowledge sin to you. And I think what this text is at least particularly telling me is, uh, the same message that I've been hearing for the last two months of my life. Thank you, God. Uh, is that there is power in acknowledgement of our wrong. There is power in looking at ourselves and saying, you know, I definitely could have done that better. And there's power in not just acknowledging that to God, but to like to other people like around us, you know, because I feel like in like in in today's society, in some ways, we we might tend to shy away from from accepting responsibility for things i don't want to say the words victim mentality because those words tend to you know they carry a lot of weight but i've definitely slipped down that road before of just thinking that like it's not all on me or that it's you know but think that certain things weren't my fault and they were and so i uh really appreciate like the acknowledgement of like just like the art of like confession, right? Like confessing like to God, confessing to like, you know, other people and that, you know, that with the forgiveness of sins, like there is like this happiness 
you know, that comes along with it. But, you know, if you, if you do keep silent, you know, if you don't like say anything, then, you know, your body wastes away. And that is often what it feels like. Um, but yeah, so, and the rest of the passage is also fantastic as well, but it's this first half is a half that really got me. So yeah, that's what I, that's what I really love about it. Yeah, Neil, I, um, I love this idea that uh, we, we need to speak to um, whatever it is that we're struggling with. Um, would you mind repeating that passage for me one more time? Uh, yeah. Um, so the bit I think they were talking about is, uh, then I acknowledge my sin to, no, wait, hold on. While I kept silence, my body wasted away through groaning, through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as the heat, by the heat of the summer. Selah. Then I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not hide my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Yeah, I I love that image of, of feeling like heaviness pressing on you. Um, at my own church, we're doing a uh, centering prayer um, series. So each Monday, we're practicing centering prayer. And I've, I've heard this. Uh, passage before and I what I see when I see the image of the weight of someone's iniquity pressing them down is sort of like the feeling of gravity pushing you down into your seat and sort of creating the space for you to take a breath and take a moment and to catch up with how your body is feeling and finally acknowledge perhaps something that you might not have been too aware of or only subconsciously aware of, which is I need to pray about something or I need to speak about something. It's like we need like a bit of pressure sometimes to encourage us to speak what's from our heart or what we're experiencing in our bodies. So I love that. Yeah, and I, um, I, I really appreciate your vulnerability and your authenticity, Neil, and naming that. Um, that just that felt so real and true and brave to me. Um, your reflection on that, and um, I have this thing where in every. I don't know. <laughs> I identify currently as an Enneagram one. Um, and I'm always looking for transformation, right? Like we went on the, <laughs> we went on the silent retreat and I was like, oh, like I want out of these two days transformation, right? Like that's all. <laughs> like I'm always trying to like completely repent and transform away from my sins. But um as we enter into the Lenten season, I think that really is my goal. <laughs> That's one of my highest goals and focus points for this season is to acknowledge where I've done wrong um, and to commit to do better. And, um, and it's one of those things, you know, it's not what I want to think about the day before Lent or any day in Lent. It's not what I want to think about any day of the week, right? But I... Um, I appreciate you bringing that up, Neil. And um, yeah, I think that's definitely something I'm going to take with me into this season. 
I I um I appreciate this discussion that we're having, and I uh, zeroed in on this one line in the text. My energy was sapped. Um, <clears throat> to me, and I just immediately went back to um, a moment where I had this this sense that I had done something wrong. And it was literally the thing that was like in my in my view, like in in my frontal lobe, just it's just and I could not be distracted from it. Like something I did something wrong and 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 I needed to get it out. And when I did, when I confessed it, a person said, bro, that's not that big of a deal. Like, it's fine. It's not. And all of a sudden, like the temperature, I could feel the temperature like go down dramatically in my body. Um, and it and that thought, and all this is going on in my brain as you were talking, Neil, um, went to verse two. The one the Lord doesn't consider guilty. And I just think about all the 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 ways that we've we think we've done wrong. But if we don't actually get that thing out of our like out of our our mind out out of our souls, we don't have anybody else to say to us, "Oh no 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 no, that's not that's okay." Like that that's not bad. But we literally need somebody else to tell us that until someone else tells us that this thing that we're feeling isn't wrong, isn't bad. It's literally sitting inside of us draining our energy, uh, wearing out our bones. And so this power of confession, yes, so that our sins, we hear that our sins are forgiven, but also the clarity that something in us is not actually wrong. And the ways until someone outside of us tells us that, it just sits in us. And so I I, I think um, that there's so many benefits to confession and Neil, I appreciate you bringing it up, but I think one of those, one of the benefits is that we're not as bad as we think we are. But there will always be this voice in us that was like, you know, Derek, when you got to this thing late, it completely destroyed everybody. And so then you apologize. I'm sorry for being late. And like, no, nah, bro, we were actually late too. Like, we're like, that doesn't actually happen. I'm always late and people are always late. No, I'm just joking. Anyway, I just, that, that ability to confess helps us to get a sense that we're not as bad as we think we are. And that can be as much life-giving as, yep, we all make mistakes. We all contribute to the anxiety and we can be better. So, Neil, thank you. Um, Cause you, you got my brain moving on all of that. And uh, with that, um, I'm gonna take us right into the gospel text as we get ready to land this plane. And I uh, had the, Great text of Matthew chapter four. It's Jesus going into the wilderness. This is the picture that often is put in front of us for the season of Lent of Jesus um, going into the wilderness for 40 days. And so that sort of parallels in many ways us uh, going into the season of Lent for 40 days. And I, I, I appreciate the season a great deal. Um, I've been, uh, observing Lent uh, as a practice for, you know, over two decades now. Um, but I, I, I will tell you, there's a part of the text that I always shy away from because I'm not ready to deal with it. And it's actually, it always is like one of the first lines, right? And so Matthew chapter four, verse one, then the spirit led Jesus 
up into the wilderness so that the devil might tempt him. And y'all, up until this year, I have not been here for that verse. Like I read it and then I just skip over because I don't know what to do with the spirit leading Jesus into the wilderness so that the devil can tempt him. It, and and I in my brain, I've wanted to like minimize that, like, ah, oh, it's just a part of the story. Don't you know it's not that it's not really the ultimate intent. You know, the intent is so that you know Jesus goes into the wilderness and 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 we go into the wilderness. So the intent is that Jesus goes into the wilderness because Israel went into the wilderness, and that's true. Yes. Um, Israel went into the wilderness for 40 years, and so this is kind of a uh, looking like that as well, particularly coming out of the gospel of Matthew. But y'all, this the verse says. The spirit led Jesus into the wilderness so that the devil might tempt him. And I, I've wrestled with that uh, as I was preparing for today's episode. And here's where I am today. I think that part of the reason that I shy away from what that, that sentence actually says is that I'm afraid that it describes then a spirit with the spirit is God. It describes a God that is intentionally pushing us into temptation. And that just feels problematic. That feels wrong. That feels like, why God, what life's hard enough, God, why would you do that? Today, I came to the text because of some other things happening in my world with a different idea about God, not a God that is sort of removed from my life and therefore just like pushing me into the temptation or pushing Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted just so, you know, God can kind of like watch them, watch Jesus have like just a tough time. But I, I get a sense of a God that is so aware of what's in Jesus. And while I, I think Jesus is aware of what's in him, if Jesus is the example and we're following Jesus into the wilderness, I feel like God is aware of the strength that is inside of me, but I'm not. I, I'm I'm in a in a season of looking over the last 20 years of campus ministry that I've been a part of and the things that I've done. And I'm in this weird transitional space where I'm moving into new things that that I believe God is asking of me, still in the realm of campus ministry, but not in the same way. But also just even in my life, being in my 40s, which I'm usually the oldest person in the Studio Wesley room, and I'm very okay with that. Um and looking back on the, the ways that I did feel like God was calling me into things. And in some respects, I felt like it was unfair. I felt like the things God was calling me into was unfair because like, I can't do this. I can't handle that. I can't, even the, that phrase, God doesn't give us more than we can handle. And there's this the subtext underneath that sentence. It's like, but I don't think I can handle it. And oh man, y'all, I, I look back and there is strength that I didn't know I had. And I don't know how I would have learned that strength other than being led into a season 
where I was tested. And the thing about this text is that God is not leading Jesus into the wilderness by the Spirit because God thinks that Jesus is going to fail this test. God is really confident in Jesus' ability to pass this test, not just with flying colors, but in a way that is, creates an incredible story. And I look back on my life and I'm getting the sense that Jesus is always like, yeah, Derek, I'm leading you into this hard thing, but I know you're going to crush it. I'm not even worried. And so I'm thinking about this text. I'm thinking about this season of Lent. I'm thinking about this moment where, that I'm in right now, and maybe even for you. And this is where I'm even talking to college-age young adults who are literally on the edge of something. And who knows what you're on the edge of? But you're on the edge of something. Feel like either you're being led into something or even being pushed into something. And I just want to say that there's strength in you that you probably don't even know is there. And there's really only one way for that strength to come forward. It is through the tempting. It is through the testing. It is through the trial. Gosh, I hate that. That feels bad to me. Again, this way we've got to rethink what is good and what's bad. And y'all, I'm not talking about abuse here. I'm not talking about being silenced. I'm not talking about oppression. Please hear me. I'm talking about the ways that that the Spirit often leads us into a, a, a season that asks us to bring more of ourselves than we ever thought we could because there's strength in us that we don't even know about. And so I, I'm not afraid of this verse, and I'm also not afraid of seeing myself in verse one. And I'm even asking the question as I go into the season of Lent, could the Spirit be leading me into a wilderness, oh gosh, to be tempted by that which I believe is evil? Because there is strength that is in me that I've yet to see. Okay, so that's my thought. Somebody is um, going to come and call me to account. It's going to be Brooke or, well, it might be Neil, then it might be Brooke, and then it might be Cameron. So I'll let them um, correct me or tell us what they got out of it. So that's all I got. Okay, I have a reference and comparison to make. I just had to look up when the book came out so I can make the joke where it's like, ha, spoilers for a book that came out in 2005. Um, once again, Derek, you, God has taken you and is using you like, like a scalpel and is just really getting in there. You know what I'm saying? Um, I like a question that I've been wrestling with, uh, recently, which has been inspired by a book I, I re I've reread, uh, now for the second time, which is a good old John Green book called looking for Alaska and in said book, rather than the idea of the wilderness, um, it's the idea of this labyrinth. See, there was this South American revolutionary and allegedly his last words were, how will I get out of this labyrinth? And so after a character dies, um, it becomes a thing like their religion professor or teacher or whatever at this boarding school tasks the students and is like, I need you to answer, like, this is your final project. You're going to answer the question of how do we get out of this labyrinth of suffering based upon what you have learned of Islam, Buddhism, and Christianity. It's like, answer it to the best of your abilities. You don't need to do research. Just answer it. It's like, I know whether or not you know it because I've graded your quizzes. But just to answer the question, 
And so I have been attempting to answer that question for myself. And I think I answered it, sort of, at least to my own understanding, where um, the answer is you don't get out. <laughs> it doesn't matter because life itself is the labyrinth. Life itself is the wilderness. You just go from one part of the wilderness to another. You know, it's like it's like when you get out of the woods and then you're out. It's like, oh, yeah, this is the interstate, right? You're like, there's the road here. And then there's just more trees on the other side. You're just crossing the road going into more trees. So it's just wilderness after wilderness after wilderness. So what really matters is like the lessons you learn within it. You know, it's like like God gave like when Jesus went out into the woods, God was like, you got this because God knew that Jesus was going to be able to withstand it and learn from it and come out the other side. That's all it is. That's what it is. It's the lessons you take with you. The labyrinth, the the wilderness, it doesn't matter. Like getting out isn't necessarily the goal. Like it's more so figuring out what you're supposed to do while you're inside of it. You know? <laughs> it's just getting comfortable in being lost for a while. I um I know I say this a lot, Derek. Some, you know, some weeks it feels more like this than others. But, um, gosh, I, um, that's just a classic Derek message, you know. Just like Derek, just like you know, just the typical like, oh, I made this message on my way over in the car, and like five people are crying. Like it's just. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I'm glad that however you're transitioning in campus ministry, you will still have access to these, these moments. Um, I, um, gosh, yeah, just so encouraging. <laughs> I really hope everyone's listening and taking that with them. I, um, and maybe this is weird, right? Like I, um, I grew up Catholic, whatever. I want to get my PhD in suffering, whatever. I, um, I think a lot, I like often meditate on Jesus's suffering and it helps me <laughs> like whenever I feel really anxious and I talk, no, I talked to my dad about this. He's also Catholic. And he was like, no, like I totally get what you're saying. Like, I think, I think it's a Catholic, I don't know. Like I, <laughs> I think about, um, like the hard moments that Jesus had and how Jesus still chose to be present and go through it. Um, and, you know, like I, I have a lot of feelings about Jesus's fast in the desert, right? I, I think we should take care of our bodies. I don't know if Jesus, I hopefully the angel, I don't know. I, don't, I would not recommend, like I said, when I was being a children's pastor, like I would not recommend doing what happens in this story. Like, do not try to walk on the water. Do not try to not eat or drink for 40 days. Um, but to me, just thinking about how, I don't know, just meditating on Jesus's choice to be present and to know, I don't know what he knew, but <laughs> imagining that he knew that, like, this is, like, not the hardest part. You know, like this is the beginning of saying yes and yes and yes and yes to things that are getting increasingly harder. Um, and sometimes when I reflect on that, like that's um, that's really comforting to me. 
whenever I'm having like a time of anxiety or hardship, just to think like Jesus said yes and yes and yes. And it helps me say yes too. Yeah. And um, I, what a what a gift to discover on the other end of some difficulty or suffering, one's resiliency and the resiliency of the human spirit and the ability um, for life to persist in conditions that would seem to threaten it. Um, and the promise is uh, that as we get through our suffering, and the only way out is through, is that God is with us in our suffering. And uh, God may not require your suffering for your soul or your person or your character to grow, uh, but that may be a product, a byproduct of your desert experience, of your experience of life being hard and maybe God being absent. Um, the, the blessing of the discovery of the enormous space and capacity that you have within yourself to get on the other end. Beautiful, y'all. What a great episode. Cameron, would you uh, close us in prayer today? Certainly. Let's pray. <clears throat> Good God, uh, who is with us, who uh, celebrates our joys with us and is also with us in our suffering. Um, we pray through this Lenten season that we might uh, allow ourselves to lean into some of the, the difficult spaces in our lives and in our heads and in our hearts that we might otherwise be avoiding. And may we, as we take courage to venture into those spaces, of our difficulty, of our fear, of our insecurity, of our limitation. We discover you and your uh, grace and your blessing and your encouragement um, that we will make it and that we will flourish and that we will thrive and we will bloom uh, under any condition. Um, I pray for the folks at home, uh, maybe watching this or listening to this, that they know that if they're suffering, that they're not alone. Um, and they're not only not alone in relationship to you, God, but that uh, they are prayed for and they are loved and that there is a community um, of people made in the image of you, God, who are willing to accept you, them, whoever they are, wherever they are, uh, with open arms. Um, and may we say as we continue into the week and into the Lenten season, Yes, and yes, and yes, and yes. Pray all of this in your son's holy and precious name. Amen. Amen. Wow. So, so good to be back. Um, Neil, thank you for just being so vulnerable and honest with us uh, in this episode. Cameron, your insights always just... Ah! the best. And Brooke, always grateful to have you in the space, bringing all the things that you're learning and all the things that you're processing through. So um, love, love, love the conversations we have at Annex. So friends, um, praying for you in this first week of Lent, and uh, we'll see you next time for another episode of Studio Wesley Annex. See you.